Well, today we're continuing our series, The Doctrine of What We Believe, understanding kind of this idea of like what it really means to believe what we believe, why we believe it. Now, understanding this, we have over the last few weeks, we have walked through, uh, we've talked about God the Father, we've talked about God the Son, talked about God the Spirit, we've talked about the doctrine of the Bible, we've talked about the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church. And you'll notice in all the things that we've talked about over these last few weeks have all been things that are clearly perfect. Things that God created, things that, you know, God wrote the Word, He inspired the Word of God. It's a perfect, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God that God promised, that Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, granted, churches aren't perfect, people aren't perfect, but the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, what, what God has established. Talking about doctrine of salvation, like the only hope that we have is through Christ and what Christ has done. And then, of course, the, the picture of the Trinity, of who Christ is and what He's done and, and, and what the Holy Spirit continues to do, what God uh, has done in all of creation. Like, what an incredible thing that we've been talking about. Like, all of these wonderful, beautiful pictures of just the power and the presence of God. But today, we're going to talk about something that's not perfect. Today, we're going to talk about, when we talk about doctrine, we're going to talk about the doctrine of the broken. We're going to talk about the doctrine of man. Like, of you and me. And ladies, you're included in that. That's a generic term. The doctrine of humanity, like who we are, and the fact that this one element of doctrine is an area where, like, really, it's messed up, and it's broken, but yet in the midst of understanding all of the great things about the presence of God and the power of God and the holiness of God, it's important that we will truly understand that we will never really fully understand the power of God and the presence of God until we understand the brokenness of man. Like, we've got to understand, like, like why it really matters what we believe about God and His Word. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about, the doctrine of man. And as we've started every week for the past few weeks, we're going to start today with our doctrinal statement. And I just want to make sure there's some clarification here. Like, this is not Scripture, what I'm sharing with you here. This is, uh, it flows from Scripture, but this is what we as a body of Christ, an expression of the body of Christ here at Thomas Road, like, this is what we take away from God's Word of what we believe about a topic, about a subject, based on what God's Word says. And so it says here in our statement about what we believe about man, the doctrine of man, it says, we affirm that human beings were directly created, not evolved, in the very image of God. As reasoning moral agents, they are responsible under God for understanding and governing themselves and the world. Adam, the first man, willfully disobeyed God, bringing sin and death into the world. As a result, all persons are sinners from conception, which is evidenced in their willful acts of sin, and they are therefore subject to eternal punishment under the just condemnation of a holy God. Now, this is our doctrinal statement about what we believe about man. And so today what we're going to do is just spend a little bit of time kind of walking through this picture of kind of five areas, five ideas about the doctrine of man that flows from our doctrinal statement, but far more important, that flows from the Word of God. And so the first thing that we want to talk about today as we walk into this subject of the doctrine of man is just simply this, like how did we get here? How we got here. We go back to our doctrinal statement again. We pull out just a section of that. We affirm that human beings were directly created and not evolved. Now that's an important statement. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter in your Bible. And we're going to go to this passage because this is where this topic, this issue is addressed. And so in Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, it says these words. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, 
according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, you say, well, why is it important for us to understand this idea of creation when we're talking about the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of man? Well, it's important to understand because in our culture today, in our world today, this is where everything has been upended. Everything has been turned on its side because of our belief in and our value of what God's Word says about creation. And so today, there's kind of three ideas, and there's more actually than three, but there's kind of three major ideas about how we got here. Like, how did we actually show up in this thing called Earth? And the first one is this, atheistic evolution. The idea that just randomly somewhere back, you know, many, many thousands or millions of years ago, maybe even billions of years ago, there was this cataclysmic event that happened that no one can really truly understand, that no one can really have a picture of. This big bang took place in our universe, and when that big bang took place, when that cataclysmic event happened, that all of a sudden things began to process and things began to change, and from that, uh, one simple little cell then multiplied and became multiple cells and it continued to grow and all of a sudden somehow we went from where there was absolutely nothing to all of a sudden we get to the place where there is an earth and a sun and the moon and the stars and then all of a sudden there are living breathing individuals on this earth and there are animals and there are fish and then from all of that comes this idea where that morphed into something else and then to something else and then somehow randomly incredibly miraculously that from nothing all of a sudden, the complexity that is man happened to show up. Wow, what an amazing journey. And there are people today that believe that's how we got here. Very smart people, scientists who have spent their entire lives trying to prove this idea of evolution all along, always looking down upon and and criticizing this idea of creation, that that there actually could be something that, you know, a God in this universe that, that spoke the world into existence and talking about how you can't have faith. Faith is not something that can be proven. Faith is not something that can be replicated. It cannot be proven in any lab or any study whatsoever. Now, what I would tell you today is it seems to me that it takes more faith to believe that everything that is in the complexity of our world, that everything that is just happened to come about by some random set of events, it takes more faith to believe that than to believe that there's a God who's spoken into existence. And yet we sit in a world today where the culture tells us, no, this is how we got here. This is how we showed up. It's just some random thing that happened. And we could go into, I mean, I could bring up Mark Horstemeyer over here, who's sitting about half the way back in this section over here, who, by the way, is smarter than all of us put together. Uh, He could actually come up here and he could spend the next eight hours explaining to you uh, why evolution cannot possibly be real and cannot possibly be true. I'm not going to do that, mainly because I can't do that. But number two, I just want to make it clear and understand, like, why in the world could we in our Humanity that has, you know, come to the place where there is so much wisdom and so much knowledge and so much understanding in our culture today. How is it that we can't wrap our minds around the idea that there's a higher 
power, that there's a God who's spoken into existence. Why do we have to believe that from nothing came rocks and from rocks and fish and then fish and monkeys and monkeys, humans? Like, come on, people. You can't be that dumb seriously. But yet that's today what a lot of people believe, probably a prevailing view in our culture today. But it's not the only one. There's another one, theistic evolution. Now, theistic evolution is basically just kind of a little bit of a a turn or a little bit of a pivot off of the atheistic evolution. And theistic evolution is the idea that, yes, we make allowance for the fact that there is a God, that there is a God, there is a higher power, and that that God, he actually one day, he reached across into the nothingness that our world was at that moment, that our universe was, and there was nothing there, that he reached over and with his finger, he flicked a little piece of dust or heavenly something, and he flicked it, and when he did, he began a ball rolling and then used the process of evolution that we just talked about a moment ago. That's just stupid. And he began the process of evolution, that God started the process, but then he allowed evolution to be uh, the, the, the vehicle with which we now get to where we are today. Again, I don't need to spend a lot of time here. That makes just about as much sense. In fact, it makes less sense, in my view, than atheistic evolution. Because if a God is so powerful that he did not need to be created, if a God has always been, then why would God have to let randomness bring about order? Why would God let, you know, allow, you know, nothing to become something by some random turn of events rather than speaking into existence? Either he is God or he's not. If he's God, he doesn't need evolution. If he's not God, then then I don't think we're here in the first place. So this idea to me makes less sense than even the first one. And then there's a third view, and the third view is just special creation. This is the the biblical account of creation, of what it says in Genesis chapter 1, that indeed God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this element of special creation is an important thing to understand. And again, I know I'm spending a lot of time in this idea of creation. This is not a message about creation and evolution. Like, this is not that. But it's important to understand this in the context of what we're going to be talking about in a few moments. And so when we talk about special creation, it's the idea, and there's basically two main views when it comes to special creation. There's one that is the six literal days of creation, which is what I believe the Bible very clearly teaches. We'll get into that in a moment. And then there's the idea of an old earth view of special creation, that yes, God created just as Genesis chapter 1 says, but it was done over you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years, and, and that the idea of, of the time there was not literal actual 24-hour days, but it was just like a context of time. Now, here's why it matters, and here's why I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this idea of creation in the fact of six literal days, because I believe clearly that if we don't get Genesis 1 right, then the rest of the Bible, we should just throw it out the window. That's in my view. And so when we talk about this idea of literal days, the word, the Hebrew word for day is the word yom. Now, yom is not actually, it doesn't always mean a 24-hour day. Like, yom can mean time, it can mean a day, it can mean, you know, a period of days. It can mean different things in the Hebrew language. There are other Hebrew words for, for, t- uh, for time and for day, for time and that kind of thing. But yom can be used kind of interchangeably, which is where some of the ideas of this long extended time of creation comes from. That like, for instance, in Scripture, you go back in several places in Scripture, um, you know, certainly when you look into, uh, you know, over in First uh, Peter I think it's in First Peter where it talks about the idea of, you know, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years of a day, right? You get that. So, so this idea of yom doesn't really mean a 24-hour day. Here's the problem. 
When we go back to Scripture, when we go back to what God's Word says, when you go back to this idea that in Genesis chapter 1, where it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and then it talks about what He did on the first day, and you'll notice at the end of that first day, there's a statement. And that statement is this, there was morning, and there was evening, and that was the first day. And then it talks about what He did on the second day. Guess what it says at the end of the second day? Oh, and there was morning, and there was evening, and that was the second day. And third day, same thing, morning, evening, third day, fourth day, morning, evening, fourth day, fifth day, morning, evening, fifth day, sixth day, morning, evening, sixth day. Every single time that it's talking about what God did in that six days of creation, it specifically states morning and evening, but it doesn't even stop there. What it does is it also says this, on the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, five, fifth day, sixth day. Why is there a descriptor that is tied to a word that just simply means like a random period of time? Could it be hundreds of years, thousands of years, millions of years? Then if that's true, then why in the world does God's Word say there was morning and there was evening and that was the first day? When you hear that statement, first day, you obviously as humanity, you very clearly bring meaning to that word. There was a first day of school, right? There was the first day that you graduated from school. There was the first day after you got married, the first day of your first job. Like, we understand what the first of something means, right? And it means like the one point, that moment, that time. So when it says the first day, naturally, when Moses wrote this book of Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was written for the purpose of communication. It was written so people would understand what took place. So why in the world would God, who is perfect, God who is omniscient, God who is omnipotent and omnipresent, a God who is all-powerful, why would a God who wanted to clearly communicate to us what He has done, why would He then use a word, a descriptor to say, the first day, if He didn't mean the first day? You go right on through the six days. The seventh day, He rested. Oh, which, by the way, brings up another point. If you go to Exodus chapter 20 and verses uh, 8 and verses 11, when God was giving the law, you remember the story, right? God was giving Moses the law. And you know what the law was, right? The law was like the set of rules that people had to live by in order to be in uh, fellowship with and to faithfully follow God. Like, this is the stuff you got to do. You got to live this way. You've got to obey these laws, these rules that God is giving to you. And so in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 and verse 11, it says this, that you shall work for six days and then on the seventh you should rest, just as God did. That you should work for six days and then you should rest on the seventh day, just as God did. Here's a question for you. If the word day that God was using in the reference of Genesis chapter 1 is referencing like thousands of years, do you think God was saying, I want you to work for 6,000 years and in the 7,000th year, hey, take a day off. Take a break. It doesn't make sense, right? It's not logical to think that there was this picture of, this idea of that it could be thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years. Like that is not what makes sense when you think about the idea of a all-powerful God that when He says, I created everything in one day and then second day and a third day and a fourth day and a fifth day and a sixth day, it's not that much of a stretch to believe that God can actually do what God says He can do when God can do anything. And so that's the picture that we get from God's Word. 
And so in this passage, when it says in verse 27, let's put that back up on the screen if we could. Uh, actually, we'll get there in a minute. Let's, let's just shift gears here. Why does it matter? Here's why it matters. Because if God did not create everything in six literal days, then it calls into question everything else that's found in God's Word. Everything else that's found in God's Word, it calls it into to question. Everything that's there, it calls it into question. So you get the idea, right? Like, if you can't trust this, then can you trust this? If you can't trust that God did this on the second day, can you trust that God actually sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again? Can you believe that if, if God didn't do this on the third day, then is it possible to believe that Jesus went and prepared a place for us in heaven by what he did on the cross? Like, like you can't believe in anything. And so you understand why it's so important. So how we got here, how we got here is that God created, we did not evolve. Now the second idea is not only how did we get here, but the next question that seems to be a pretty prevalent question is how we were created. How we were created. So let's go back to our doctrinal statement. A doctrinal statement just simply says this, in the very image of God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. What does it say about when he created man? It says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, you see this statement and you see these two words, the two thoughts, our image and our likeness. That does not mean the same thing. That's not like, like two you know, words that are exactly the same thing. Like, it's really cool and it's really good. Like, you understand, like, that's what you know what really cool, really good means, right? That is not what our image and our likeness is all about. When you go into Scripture and you see that statement of our image and our likeness, it's two very different thoughts. So in God's image, when we were created, we were created with certain characteristics of God. Now, I'm not talking about physical attributes. I'm not talking about the fact that when you were created, that you look exactly like God. Because that wouldn't make sense, because God is not limited by a physical body. He's not limited uh, to have a body like you and I are. But what we are created with, we're created with the idea of being able to think. We're created with being able to have a, an ability to have an emotion, to have a free will, characteristics of God. So we were created in the image of God, the imago Dei, the picture of life. Like we were created with characteristic and attributes of God. But then also, not only that, but we were created in His likeness. Now, in His likeness, when we had creation, we were created with the picture of being holy. Like, we were not created with a sinful nature. We were not created with sin as a part of our story. What happened is, and you know the story, is like what God created as holy, that when Adam and Eve committed that first sin, that they messed that up. We lost that likeness part. We like, lost that ability to be called in His likeness. And so when sin entered into the world, that we lost that element through our sin. But here's the cool thing. You see, through God, what God has done through His Son Jesus now is that we have the opportunity to retain that spiritual likeness when we come to Christ, that justification. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago in the doctrine of salvation, that when you come to Christ, that we now retain that spiritual likeness. We also have the opportunity of retaining that character likeness through the sanctification process, like through growing in our faith, we become more like Him. And then thirdly, we will retain that, that physical likeness and that, that picture likeness. We'll retain that at our glorification, which is when we step into the presence of heaven. Like never again will sin be a part of our story. And so what man messed up, God actually provided a process for us to get back to what He created in the first place. 
right? So we were created in the image of God according to our likeness. And this is not that difficult to understand for those of you who have children. Like when you have, I got four kids and however many kids that you might have. Like you know when they were born, you brought them home and they they came home into your home and you raised them. And here's what, they came and they were born in your image, right? Like they had characteristics like you did. Like they had the ability to think, they had the ability to have emotions, (laughs) crying, screaming all the time. They had the ability, you know, to, to have a free will, right? In other words, they had the ability to not do what you told them to do, right? We all understand that who are our parents and of course it's when we were kids, we understood that really well. And so we understand that. And then that idea of likeness, like, like a lot of times they are born and they look like us. Like you can't deny them, they look like you. But as they get older, they change and they look different and, and they might go a different way and they might do a different thing or even believe a different thing. And so it's kind of the same picture of what man was created. We were created in the image and in the likeness of God. And so understanding that, of how we got here and how we are created, then the next thing we've got to understand as it relates to this idea of the image of God and the likeness of God is that why were we created? Go back to our doctrinal statement. Doctrinal statement says as reasoning moral agents, and basically that's a fancy way to say, like as people who have the ability to think for themselves and the ability to think, you know, and know between right and wrong, as reasoning moral agents, they are responsible under God for understanding and governing themselves and the world. And so that's the picture of like why we were born. We go back into the book of uh, Romans. In Romans chapter 4, verses 9, it tells us this statement. It says, when, uh, so did I get that wrong? I'm sorry. No, I got it right. <laughs> Thought I was wrong and I was right. There we go. So Romans, uh, Re- uh, Revelation, I did say it wrong. I repent. I'm sorry. (laughs) Revelation 4, we go to the end of the book, right? We started in Genesis, Revelation chapter 4. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crown before the throne, saying these words, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So why were we created? Here's real simple. We were created for the glory of God. We were created to bring Him glory. We were created to be in His image. We were created to do the work that He called us to do. That is what God has us here. And it's important to understand this because when we come back to the idea, the picture of, like this whole idea of, like, why does it really matter? Or why am I here? Why was I even born? That when you understand that when you think in your life today, and we live in a culture and a time when there are so many people who question the suicide rates are higher than they've ever been, of questioning their value and questioning their worth and questioning like, like, should I even be on this earth? When you recognize that the reason that you were born is because God believed that you should be, it changes everything. That when God believed that this world needed you in it, then it ought to help you think through a little bit more about like, man, then I must have value, then I must have worth. Because see, we're we're conditioned in our culture to believe that if we don't have this or we don't have that or if we look a certain way or don't look a certain way or if we have a defects or challenges or disabilities or problems like, like you don't have as much value as someone else. Man, if there's a God who could in six literal days speak everything into existence, then what I also believe about that God is that God doesn't make a mistake when He makes you and me. 
that he makes us exactly the way that we are for a reason. So never allow yourself to question your value and your worth before God because God thought the world needed you in it. So why were we created? We were created to bring glory and honor to God. We were created to do the work that he's called us to do of reaching people. That's what these cards represent, to share the gospel and the love of Christ with the world. Why? Because God desires for all of us to have that relationship with him. So why were you created? Because God wanted you to be created. Do you have worth and value? You bet you do, because the God of the universe specifically spoke you into existence. Pretty cool thought, isn't it? So you ask the question, like, how did we get here? How were we created? Why were we created? Now, here's where we come into this whole broken thing. Because the broken thing is this. It's like, why were we created? We know why we were created, but as human beings, guess what we do? We got to talk about how we messed it all up. Like how we blew it, because we all have. We go back to our doctrinal statement. It says, Adam, the first man, willfully disobeyed God, bringing sin and death into the world. And as a result, all persons are sinners from conception, which is evidenced in their willful acts of sin. We go back into the scriptures. We go to Romans chapter 5. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. I keep messing these things up. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And so this picture of the serpent, that's talking about Satan, right? And so Satan was smarter than everybody else there that had been created, right? So Satan then was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And Satan comes in as a serpent, and he deceives Adam, and he deceives Eve. So Satan devised a plan to mess up what God had created. And we as human beings, because again, we were created with the ability to think for ourselves and the ability to have an emotion and the ability to have free will to choose whether to do right or to do wrong, Adam and Eve chose to do wrong. And because Adam and Eve chose to do wrong, then sin entered into that world. Humanity gave in to the temptation. We were tempted to sin and we gave in. And so that's how we messed it all up. But the cool thing about what God does If we go a few verses down in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it says this, And I, God speaking, will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You'll notice in this verse, there's a verse here, a statement here, and her seed, that's a capital S, that's referring to the Messiah who would come. You come down here, you shall bruise his, capital H, his heel. The picture is this, is that even though Satan was able to help humanity give in to the temptation to sin, that God already had a plan in place that Christ would come in and he would fix the narrative, that he would fix the story. So how did we mess it all up? We messed it all up because of sin. But when we messed it all up, God devised a plan to redeem what we had broken, which brings us to the fifth point. The fifth point is, is God's great plan of redemption. God's great plan of redemption. We come back to this passage in Romans chapter 5. I've been trying to get there the whole sermon. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the Doctrine of Salvation, that God gave us an opportunity to be made right. 
that God gave us the opportunity of coming back. Why is that important? It's important because when you go back to our doctrinal statement, our doctrinal statement says this, and they are therefore subject to eternal punishment under the just condemnation of a holy God. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God for eternity. That's Romans chapter 6. The wages of our sin is what? Death. That's not physical death. We're all going to get that. The wages of our sin, spiritual death, spiritual separation for eternity from a holy God. Why? Because God cannot tolerate sin. God cannot tolerate that to be in His presence. So we, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So why is it important to understand from Genesis to Revelation the picture of what humanity is? Why is it important to understand the doctrine of man? It's just simple. It's a simple statement. It's because if we truly don't understand how we got here, why we got here, what our purpose is, how we messed it up, and how God offered a way for us to fix it, if we don't understand all of those things, then we shouldn't even waste our time coming to this room. We shouldn't even waste our time calling ourselves followers of Christ. The picture of God's plan is a picture that changes everything. And that today is why it's important to understand the doctrine of man. Remember when I said a little while ago that when you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and if you don't believe what God's Word says about creation, that it upends and turns everything on its side? You see, we live in a culture today where everything in God's Word is being questioned and morphed and perverted and changed and corrupted. And here's why. Because we've gotten away from the simple idea that everything that exists exists because of and in the power of and under the sovereignty of a holy, perfect God. And today we have to understand that truth. So today, why are we here? It's simple. You were born to glorify God. We messed it up. God gave us an opportunity to fix it. And when we come to that moment where we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, then God's plan for you, it begins the process of being fulfilled. Today, that's our prayer. Salvation is God's redemption story, God's redemption plan, because man messes it everything up. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the understanding that we can have and we simply go back to what your word says and take it for face value. God, we thank you that you gave it to us and I pray that today in this room, as people gathered in this room, watching, listening today, Father, I know there are people who are hurting. I know there are people who are going through difficult times. I know there are people here who have never come to the moment where they believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. And God, I pray that in this moment today that decisions will be made, life changes will be made. God, that will change not only the moment, but will change the narrative for eternity because of people trusting in you. And Father, for that, we give you the praise. In a moment, we're going to stand together. Our team is gathering here at the front as we do every week. So I'm just going to encourage you, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never taken that that point, that moment to like 100% be sure that, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that he died and that he rose again, believing in him. If you've never done that, then today I just want to tell you, like right now, best time ever to make that decision. And so in a moment when we stand, I'm just going to invite you to step out, to come down and talk with one of our team members here and say, listen, I, I, I want to I hear more about that redemption story. I want to hear more about Christ.
Maybe you want to come and drop off a card of somebody you want to pray for. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you want to come for baptism or come to join our family here at Thomas Road. Maybe you want to come as a follower of Christ who just needs to come here just like get them thing right. Just pray over some people. Pray over some friends. Pray over a situation in your own journey just to get things right. Whatever it is that God is telling you to do, I just encourage you today, like, like make this a moment, a time of decision and commitment in your journey and in your life. So we're going to stand right now, and Charles is going to lead us in the song. Charles, where did Charles go? Uh, Zach, you lead us in the song. Man, I am like totally off my game today. And we're going to sing together, and as we do, I just encourage you to step out and to come down to this altar this morning. Zach. Jesus, Jesus, oh, how I need you, you stay the same. Are good in your ways, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, how I need you! You are enough. All my trust is you, Lord, Jesus. today we thank you because God we stand here today as broken people as we've talked about but God we thank you because you love us anyway as Romans 5 8 tells us that you demonstrated your love towards us in the while we were still sinners that you gave your son Jesus to die for us God we're so grateful for your gift I pray that today God that you would speak in us and through us and to us God allow us today to recognize your power and your presence in our lives And God, as we leave this place, I pray that you would take what you have done on the inside of our lives and that, God, that we will turn it outward and that we will go out and be the light that this world needs to point people to you. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before you leave, two quick things. Our altar remains open. If you've got a card that you want to lay down, I encourage you to do that. And then also just a a personal prayer request uh, right now. Uh, down in Gretna, Virginia, started at 10.30. My son, my oldest son, Jonathan Jr., is preaching his first sermon at a little small country church down in Gretna. And just pray for him that God uses him. He's scared to death. My whole family's down there. I said, why don't you stay here? Like, We've heard you. We don't hear They all went down there. I was going to actually go. I was going to let Charles speak here, and, let, and I was going to go down to hear him. And I told Jonathan that. He said, yeah, no. And so I'm here, but if you would pray for him today, I'd appreciate it. God bless you and have a great day. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. 
Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.